It's the Audition Helper Podcast with special guest, Mary Testa. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Audition Helper Podcast. My name is Ken Kesar, and this is my podcast. And for those of you wondering, what is this Audition Helper business? I'll tell you. The Audition Helper is a website that I started to offer coaching to actors in preparation for auditions. And along the way, I decided I wanted to talk to actors that I really love and admire. And so I decided to start a podcast and reach out to actors that I see in New York, mostly on Broadway or off-Broadway. Um, anybody whose work I really admire and uh, and wish I could meet, I reach out to them or their agents and I say, hey, you want to come on my podcast? And they say yes, or they don't respond. But the ones that do respond um, come on my podcast, and uh, and I have a great time talking to them. Today, we're talking to Mary Testa. And I have enjoyed Mary Testa's work uh, for a very long time. Most recently, I saw her in the Daniel Fish production of Oklahoma. And if you haven't seen that or didn't get a chance to see that before uh, it closed in January, before COVID came along, um, it was incredible. It was a pared-down production with eight actors. I think it was eight. A very focused production. Um, they served you chili and cornbread at intermission. And it was just a very intimate experience. And I saw this in at Bard College, and then it moved to uh, uh, St. Anne's Warehouse, and then and then to Broadway. And it just blew my mind. It was a radically different take on Oklahoma. Uh, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. I guess you won't see it now if you haven't seen it. But at the end, it's very dark, and it's a very dark treatment of the musical that we all know and love. And it just blew my mind that this was just a very radical interpretation. So Mary Testa uh, was nominated for um, a Tony Award for it. She was mesmerizing in it. What really struck me is the way she listened to her fellow actors, and it just really draws you in. And um, and I thought, wow, this is this is an actress. This is a real actress. She is a veteran. She's been around. Her first show on Broadway was Barnum all the way back in 1980. And then since then, she's done um, a slew of shows. Funny thing happened on the way to the Forum, Chicago. Uh, she did the On the Town in the late 90s with Jesse Tyler Ferguson and Leah Delaria. And she did 42nd Street and Wicked and Xanadu and most recently Oklahoma. She's incredible. You may have seen her on television. She was in the uh, sitcom with Whoopi Goldberg called Whoopi back in 2004. She was, um, she's just, she's incredible. She's just a great actor. And um I have to admit, I was very intimidated to talk with her. She is, uh, she's, she's, she's quite a presence and she's quite a personality. And, um, I was a little bit intimidated, but I think I did okay. I think I, I held my own and was able to talk to her. 
like a normal person, at least I hope so, but um, you'll let me know if you think I was overly intimidated. I hope not. And I hope Mary Tessa enjoyed talking with me as much as I enjoy talking with her. So um, without further ado, enjoy this interview. This is me and Mary Testa. Where are you uh, zooming in from today? Uh, New York City. How's this time been for you? Actually, it's been pretty good. Um, I've been enjoying uh, not having to do anything. And um, I've been enjoying just chilling and, you know, just living my life in my apartment and with my dog. And I'm not suffering at all. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So, like, when you say, like, you enjoy not doing anything, what is it that you do? Well, I enjoy just having, you know, not having any responsibilities, not having to perform right now. It's not forever. Right. I know it's not going to be forever, but the break has been lovely because I worked pretty much nonstop, um, you know, for a long time. And so this break has been lovely to just chill and hang by the water. I live near the water, hang by the water, walk my dog, see my friends, socially distance, of course. Totally. Um, you know, accomplish some projects in my apartment. I love spending time with my little dog, walking him a million times a day. Uh, you know, all of that. I mean, not, I'm not doing anything important and I'm actually enjoying it. That's awesome. Well, I tell you, it's, it's a real honor to meet you and talk with you. I have seen you on stage more times than I can count. Uh-huh. I'm always amazed by your work. I think that, and I, and I, I noticed this mo- more acutely when I came to see you in Oklahoma. I came, actually came to Bard College to see Oklahoma. Oh, did you? Yeah. And I, I love the experience and I, I really got a chance to watch you closely there because I was probably 10 feet from you, right? I was like, I was, uh-huh. we were all right there in the front and what mesmerized me was how much you pull us in by doing very little seemingly. Like you're not, you know, there's a lot of performers out there who are kind of like, watch me, watch me. But you like, just listen. And by listening, you sort of entrance me into watching your performance. Oh, that's very nice. Well, I think as I've gotten older, I've understood the power the of you know the classic less is more and especially with Oklahoma because Oklahoma was that kind of show where uh you didn't need a lot of hoopla in order to make it work as a matter of fact the director preferred a simple just an honest true approach of just listening and responding and um I loved it I loved doing that show I loved the whole process of that show. I have very much uh, earlier on in my career been, look at me, look at me. But um, I, I'm learning each project of, about how much gas you have to give it. You know what I mean? And, um, and so I think I'm learning that the older, I mean, I've been doing this for a very long time. So hopefully I learned something. <laughs> well, many of us know Oklahoma by heart, you know, like I didn't need to, I, I could have recited the whole show with you, but when you were when you were Ann Eller and I'm watching you, it's like when you're listening, it's like you truly, it looks like you truly have no idea what the next line coming out of the guy's mouth is. You have to listen to know, to know how you're going to respond to that. Yeah. I mean, that's the way you should be as an actor. You know, that's, that's what it is. I mean, you do a, the same show over and over and over again. It has to be fresh. It has to be real. And it has to, that's what you have to do. You have, you cannot be two steps ahead of or 10 steps ahead because then the audience will 
you'll either lose the audience or the audience, you know, it, it just won't, it, that won't co- be cohesive. And so, you know, that's part of being an actor is making it real and making it, you know, for yourself as well, you know. To me, it seems like that's the whole, that's the whole thing. That's why it's so hard, you know, not being two steps ahead and just being in the moment. I think that's very true. I mean, obviously, you know what's going to happen. You know what the piece is. You've done it. You know, you rehearse a piece and then you perform a piece however long when it's on Broadway. Usually, hopefully it's a long run or a longer run. And you do the same thing. You know, I got, I've gotten that question. But how do you make it fresh? Well, that's your job. You know, that's your job. That's what you do. You cannot walk through a performance. You cannot... Um, just give it, you know, 50%, you have to be in at 120%. And part of being in it is listening and responding and, and, uh, and not taking for granted what's being said on stage that you go, yeah, I know what, I know what's coming up. I mean, that's what you have to do as an actor. Yeah. You know, and people go to school for years to learn how to do that. And I, I find a lot of times they still can't. Well, it. you know, uh, yeah. Uh, but I, uh, as I said, I've been doing it now 44 years. And um, I think, you know, you learn. And and I have learned. Yeah. I don't know everything, obviously. You know, you never know everything. But I, I've learned some lessons. I've learned some things. Yeah. So tell me about how that... Um, production of Oklahoma first at Bard. I know then it moved to Broadway and it changed a lot. Well, when we, uh, we worked, we started at New York theater workshop and we worked around the table for a couple of weeks, just on the script. And, uh, I think Daniel, the director was trying to figure out, um, how to, how to bring this script down to just 12 characters. So there was a lot of, so there was some cutting of lines and some reassigning of lines to, uh, to make it just be 12 characters. So we really just worked on the script and what was going on on the script. Then we went to Bard and we did it at Bard uh, very successfully, sold out, um, really exciting. Mm-hmm. And then it took four years um, between Bard and we went to St. Anne's Warehouse and did it there again, all sold out, very exciting. And then we closed in St. Anne's, we got extended at St. Anne's Warehouse and we closed in November of 2000, uh, where are we? We're in 20 now, right? So 2018. And then in 2019, in February, we started rehearsals for Broadway. Mm-hmm. And then we closed Broadway in January of 2020. Gotcha. I mean, I didn't see it after Bard, but what I was shocked at at Bard was just the cold blood in which Curly was willing to just kill um, right. Judd. And that was a major, you know, that was a major thing. And of course it changed. Um, it changed angles and things like that, depending on the room. I'm sorry you didn't see it after Bard. Yeah, me too. I'm really, it's one of the things that uh, I'm kicking myself that I haven't, haven't been able to see. But yeah, and I wasn't sure. I didn't realize until I saw the Tony Awards how much it had changed. I, I was expecting. Were you still serving out the food? At- yeah. Intermission. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We didn't serve it, mm-hmm. but, you know, people served it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There was still cornbread and, and chili. Yeah. So what was when you when they first explained to you what they were trying to do with Oklahoma, were you on or it wasn't an explanation it's not the way it worked Daniel didn't say this is what I'm gonna do it was just a it was just a process of working with Daniel you know Uh, I was on board Daniel asked me to do it so I was on board from the beginning 
Okay. Um, he asked me to play Ann Eller. I had never seen a production of Oklahoma. So I had no preconceived notions of how it should be. Um, I probably saw the movie a long time ago, but I still didn't really have any, any preconceived ideas. And so, you know, he, he put together this extraordinary group of actors and we just worked with each other. You know, I was really shocked by it, honestly. Like, uh, you seem very like laid back about it. But to me, it was like, how can he do this? You know, it's like it was shocking. I mean, I, I, I don't find it shocking. I find it, you know, I'm glad that it was moving. Um, I, I find that the script is a really good script. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, the dynamics of what's going on. And, you know, as an actor, you have to figure out your backstory for whatever character you're playing. And so, you know, I had a whole backstory of why I was there and, you know, what I was doing. And so did everybody else. And, you know, we just tried to, as I said, we just tried to make sense of the script. I think in other productions, although, as I said, I've never seen another production, they kind of gloss over the script and get to the big musical numbers. And since we did not do big stagings of musical numbers, they were done simply with a with a bluegrass band. Um, we didn't have big dance numbers or anything like that, except for the, the you know, Farmer and the Cowman, where we square danced. Mm-hmm. Um we didn't have any of that hoopla. So we were really able to concentrate on the script, which then brought us to the musical numbers in a very organic way. Right, right, right. Of course. Yeah. I'd love to go back in time with you now just to sort of follow the trajectory of your career. I know you come from Philadelphia. I was born in Philadelphia, but I actually was moved from Philadelphia when I was four back to Rhode Island where my parents were from. So I was raised in Rhode Island. Where in Rhode Island? North Providence. North Providence. Okay, cool. cool. Yeah. And then um, I know that you were trying to decide between law school and becoming a performer and you chose becoming a performer. So um, can you tell me about that? Like, were you really seriously considering being a lawyer? I thought about it. I mean, I didn't. Yeah, I thought about it. I was like a teenager and I just was like, what do I, what am I interested in? And, and um, you know, I sort of, I never really had, um, um, any sort of like the schools I went to didn't really have drama departments. You know, I didn't have anything when I was in, in um, grade school and my high school didn't have a theater department. So um, I I wasn't really exposed to a lot of it, but I knew that I had always sung and I knew that I was interested in that. And so it was like a decision that I made, um, you know, it was all about the length of time I needed to go to school, basically. And I thought, uh, lawyer, I got to go to school for a long time. Actor, I don't. So I picked actor. And I'm glad it worked out. I went to a very special school in between high school and college. Um, in Rhode Island, they had this thing called the Governor's School for the Young and Gifted in the Arts. I auditioned for it and was accepted into the theater department. And so before I went to college and majored in theater, I went to this governor's school for a summer. It was like six weeks. The person that I auditioned for was George Martin, who was a wonderful actor. He's since deceased. He worked a lot with Trinity Square Repertory, but he worked all he worked all over the country and did a lot of film and television. He was a wonderful, wonderful actor. And he's the one that said, you know, that that sort of said, yeah, her, she's good. What, what do you think about that training bet now when you look back? Was it was it any good? Well, you know what? Honestly, I don't really remember that much of it. I think we just like read things and read scenes and stuff like that. I don't really remember. I mean, I was a theater major in college and my training really got started there. And where'd you go? The University of Rhode Island. Oh, okay. Okay. 
And was that what kind of what, what was the training like there? Was it like a conservatory? It was excellent. Uh, I happened to catch um, uh, when I was there. I didn't finish college. I, I finished my first semester junior year. <laughs> and then I because I'd taken all my theater credits and um, I had just electives left to take. And so that's when I, I, I quit and I worked three jobs and saved up enough money and moved to New York. Um, but I met Bill Finn when I was in college, we had a, a Rockefeller grant and we did 10 new shows, all new plays, new musicals. And I never intended to be in musicals. I was an actor and someone happened to hear me sing. Um, and it all started there. Um, and, um, so that's where I met Bill because they, he had done a show of his there and he picked me to be in it. So that's where I met him. And that's kind of where I got started. We had this season, I was a, I was a, a sophomore and we had this 10 new show season and we had a company of equity actors. And I was fortunate enough to be in all of the shows with the equity actors. And Bill came to see, um, uh, I was doing Antigone. I was in the chorus and he picked me out. He said, I want her. Cause we did this sort of thing where we sung walking around the circle. And he said, I want her in my show. Nice. So that's how I met him. And, um, so that sort of started everything basically. And it's funny. And back then no one knew, really knew who he was. Right. I mean, he wasn't, but well, he had just graduated college. He was just starting his career. So, um, yeah, he, he was a very, a big talent and he, he was one of the shows we did. His show was called scrambled eggs. And so, um, that's how I met Bill. And so when I moved to New York in 1976, I started singing with Bill and Allison Frazier and Kay Pesek. And that's how In Trousers And then, started. of course, you went on to do March of the Falsettos. It was in the workshop of March of the Falsettos when I got my first Broadway show and I had to leave. Oh, gotcha. What was the Broadway yeah. show you got? Barnum. Barnum, right? Of course, yes. And that was, my, my wife talks about Barnum. She, that's her, that was her fa first Broadway show when she was a kid. So oh, yeah. Cool. There are so many people out there that are going to auditions day in, day out. They either get somewhere or they don't. They put in their 5, 10, 15 years and bail, or they keep going for you know decades and, and just do it until they drop. And um, I'm sort of fascinated by that whole thing. And I, I guess you know part of my curiosity is I'm trying to sort of put a finger on, you know, what is it, right? What is it that, 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 allows someone to develop a career and work and, 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 and why do some people not get that far and, and they're not able to develop that. And, and I know there are a lot of fundamental questions to answer that, but there are right. an awful lot of people out there that I, for my money are very talented who don't ever see a, a good oh, yeah. successful career. There's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, I, I know I'm just persistent. I, I just don't give up and uh, it's not always been easy, but you know, the older I've gotten, the more I'm getting to work on things I really want to work on and pe with people I really want to work on who I admire. The people, there's a lot of big people who I, you know, I'm not going to name names, but there's lots of people who I have no desire to work with, even though they're very influential. And, you know, I I'm really enjoying working with the people that I love. And I've just never given up. You know, I've just never given up. Mm -hmm. When I was younger, I said yes to everything. I sometimes worked three or four things at the same time. And now I'm not um, doing that. Now I'm choosy about what I do. And, you know, I'm okay with not doing something if it doesn't jazz me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I think persistence is re- really the number one thing. And then you have to have a little bit of luck and you have to, you have to be ready and you have to, you have to um, be ready whenever, when any opportunity comes up, you know, you have to be able to seize opportunities. So I think there's lots of things involved. I think some people give up. I think also people um, have this idea of what it's like to be in the theater, like if they want to be stars. And that's not what, in my mind, that's not what it's like to be in the theater. That's not what it's like to be a working actor. Mm -hmm. It's working actor is just being able to be artistic and work on interesting projects. If you are in this business to become a star, you may as well just forget it. I mean, I have family who always say to me, when you make it, when you make it, well, I feel I've made it and then some um, for a very long time. So, you know what I mean? Uh, it's just like a focus thing. <laughs> Would anybody in your family say, still say to you when you make it? Um, you know, my parents are gone, unfortunately. Um, I have a sister and, you know, she sort of understands. But, you know, you know, they they equate success with, are you in the movies? Do I see you on TV all the time? That's what they, they think of as success. So, you know, like, yeah, family members, I don't really see that many of them anymore. But, you know, yes, I have heard that from people. Right. Um, I just ignore it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How have you dealt with the big gaps between jobs? Or have you had big gaps between jobs? I have not had. I've been lucky in that I have not had huge gaps. This is the longest gap I've had ever. This quarantine? Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, Yeah. I mean, I've done some stuff on Zoom. But uh, this is really the longest gap I've ever had. And rather than, um, I am not panicked. I know that theater will come back. I don't know when, but um, I'm, as I said, when we started talking, I'm enjoying not having to do anything right now. So um, yeah, the gaps, I was always doing something though. I was never not doing anything. I do a reading for free or a workshop or a, you know, uh, uh, something, you know, I'd record or I would do concert work or I do, uh, I do all the mediums. So, you know, I was always lucky enough to do something. So the gaps were never big. You never had to wait tables or any of that. I did when I first started, I did the first three years. I moved here in 76 mm-hmm. and, uh, I immediately started working, as I said, with Bill Finn and we did in trousers in like 78, 79. And then my first Broadway show was 1980. Mm-hmm. Um, but in those, in 76 to 79, I worked as the waiter and a cashier at a restaurant, uh, called, um, the U S steakhouse, which was in the time life building and, um, on other various other waiter jobs. I worked like a bunch of waiter jobs till I got that one, which was a really good job. It was a union waiter job. It was excellent. And I got this, um, I used to work the lunch shift. It was union waiter. I got this six-week Rockefeller grant. It was six weeks, uh, a musical review every week. So six new musical reviews. And they had a company of actors, a company of writers, a couple of directors. It was a very exciting thing. And I got it. And I went to my waiter uh, managers and and wanted to get a leave of absence. And um, they did not like me because I'm very vocal. And, you know, they were both misogynists. And So they said, no, no, you can't get a leave of absence. And my waiter friends were all like, listen, you didn't come here to be a waiter. You came here to be an actor. And I quit. 
and I never had to get another job again. That's unbelievable. That's just and were you always just comfortable or was there were there, were there rough times? Oh, that? there were definitely rough times. There were definitely rough times, especially in the beginning. Oh my god. Um, yeah. But um, you know, I I have some years are not as good as other years. Uh but I've been fortunate to just make a living in the theater. You've done a lot of Broadway shows that have had long runs. I've done two that have had long runs. Which, which two? Barnum was two years and 42nd Street was two years. Okay. So like Xanadu, you weren't in very long? Xanadu, we were only like a year and three months, something like that. Oh, to me, that's a long run. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what do you consider a short run? What do you consider a long run? Well... I think a year is is kind of short for a Broadway show. I mean, um, I guess it, it's good, but I think uh, a long run is like two years and more. And a year of doing a show and you go in eight times a week, is it always exciting to you or are you ever like, Ugh. Yeah, that's, I mean, listen, sometimes you're tired and you don't want to say that same line ever again. Right. But that's when your craft comes in as an actor. That's when you find something new. That's when you listen and and react in a way that's different than you normally do that's when your your craft as an actor comes in would you say you learned that in school or by doing by doing yeah by doing definitely definitely yeah and so what what is your position on training do you do you feel like you learn stuff in your training, training? you know i think everybody is different i think people feel comfortable being in a school environment for a long time um, it's a safe environment. It gives you a real wide uh, lane as to what you get to do. Uh -huh. uh, because once you get out into the real world, it's a little more tricky. Uh -huh. um, I personally enjoy trial by fire. Um, I, I trained as much as I trained. Uh, but once I hit New York City, I never trained again. I just learned by doing. Um, the On the Town you did, was that the one with Leah Delaria and uh, uh -huh. Jesse Tyler Ferguson? Yes. Boy, I love that production. I thought that was just stellar. Thank you. I loved it too. We had a great time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um and then I saw the the next one after that, which was also good, but I really always remembered your production. I always Yeah, that. thank you. I I thought our production was really good. It's the great George Wolfe that directed it, so. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are some experiences that you've had in the theater that you could have done without 42nd street was not a positive experience, although the show was fun and doing it was fun. Uh, but the rehearsal process was really torturous. Um, uh, I've had moments with directors who are, uh, not helpful and who don't like someone who has opinions. And I do. Um, I always say to people, if you hire me, you're going to get, you're going to get an opinion and you're going to get input. And at what point in your career would you say you, that you started to tell directors that if you hire me, you're going to get input? Um, I would say within the last uh, 10, 15 years. 10, 15 years. Okay, so that, that's, that's pretty recent. Kind of. But, yeah. you know, as I said, I've been doing this for 44 years. So, Do you ever have directors who are like, yeah, no, we're not into that, so we're going to pass? Uh, you know, it doesn't usually happen. You can, it doesn't usually happen in an audition process. It's usually when you're working with them and it's usually on new material. Uh -huh. um, and you can tell like in a workshop process, whether they're open or not to hearing from actors. I, you know, I, I just truly believe that actors can teach you 
you know, a lot of the times uh, we're like bottom of the rung, you know, where they think actors are a pain in the ass and they don't really want to hear from them. But <laughs> actors are your best resource because we can tell you when something's not working. We can we know when something is not working. And uh, I've said this before, and actually it's a quote that's on my Instagram page, but, you know, I might not always be able to tell you how to fix it, but I can tell you when it's wrong. So, um, you know, uh, actors are your best, um, especially smart actors, and I consider myself a smart actor, um, are able to really help you when you're writing, when you're working on something new. Sure. Yeah. So, and you've said that you are now at a place where you're choosy about what you do and you can turn stuff down. So what attracts you to a project and what makes you go, yeah, I'm not, this is not for me? Um, you know, uh, just a material that really I find interesting and that uh, is, is, says something, affects something. Um, I'm not, I'm, I, because I do a lot of musicals, but I, I, I'm not into... Uh, sort of the sillier kind of gratuitous. I mean, I've done my share of silly, believe me. I mean, Xanadu <laughs> was hilarious and silly, but it also sort of had a point. Uh-huh. Um, it had a, a great heart to it as well. Um, I just, you know, I like really interesting writers. I, I'm blessed to work with Michael John Lacusa and people like Daniel Fish, who's a director who's excellent, and uh, Graziella Danielle. I, I just like people who are interested in really delving and going deep and finding different and interesting, you know? Mm -hmm. Do do any straight place scripts ever make it across your desk for consideration? Of course. Yeah. I do. I do a fair share of plays as well as music. I do everything. Yeah. I really do everything. And I had to fight for that too, because once they find out you do, you're a singer and you do musicals and that's all they want to see you for. And very early on, I kept saying to my agents and I was lucky to get agents early on. I don't want to just do musicals. I want to do plays as well. I want to do plays. And so I've all of my career have done plays as well as musicals. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any writers that you're keeping your eye on that you're really interested in? Well, I think Shana Taub is really brilliant and she's got, she's been working on the suffragist uh, musical that's going to be at the public. It was supposed to be at the public in November before all of this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think she's excellent. What about away from New York? Do you ever go into the regional theater? I have worked regionally. I, 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 to be honest, I work regionally when there's nothing else. Uh-huh. I don't, I'm not good at being out of town. Um, yep. I like staying in New York. So I have worked several region, uh, regional theaters, uh, mostly tri-state area, but I have worked like Kansas city and I was supposed to be at the old globe this summer, uh, doing a new Michael John Lacusa piece. Um, and I was even reticent to go to California. I just don't like being away from my house. I I'm like a real homebody. So, um, but yes, I have, uh, I have worked the odd time. Yeah. Well, what about when you do television, you got to go out to LA, right? Or have you done that? I actually have been lucky in that all my television has been here. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Wow, I feel like the, the, the reality of an actor's life is so much on the road, but it sounds like you've been able yeah. to really avoid it. Well, well, listen, you know, I wouldn't, I would go to L.A. if I had a, a TV series. I would definitely do that. I don't like L.A. I don't really want to live in L.A. <laughs> um, I love New York, and this is where I'm going to stay. And, but if I got a series and I had to go to L.A., I'd go to L.A., and then I'd come back here, you know. Right. Wow. And how about, um, what's your attitude towards working in the, in television and film? Do you I, I love television. I love the half hour sitcom is one of the best jobs you can have. Why is that? It's easy. <laughs> it's so easy. 
you don't work weekends. <laughs> uh, it's it is like I did a Whoopi the show Whoopi um, for one season, twenty two episodes. It was the best gig I ever had, television wise. It's just easy. The hours are easy. It's you know hour long is harder. The, those are like sometimes twelve to seventeen hour days. Half hour sitcom is like a nine to five job almost. Sometimes not even that. And then the only long day is tape day, and it's you know, and it's usually live studio audience and great fun. I love television. I really love television work and film work very much. So it's completely different from theater, and I love all of it. I like. Uh, if I just had to do musicals, I'd kill myself. If I just had to do plays, I'd kill myself. If I like being able to be able to do all kinds of different things, it makes me very happy. If I said to you, hey, Mar hey Mary, I, I want you to star in your own Broadway show or your own television sitcom, which would you choose? Television sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> Much more money. More money. Shorter hours. <laughs> but it would have to be good. I don't want no crappy sitcom. <laughs> would have to be very good. Okay. There's plenty of crappy sitcoms. <laughs> no, I imagine they'll get the best writers in the business for you. Oh, thank you. Is that a dog I hear in the background? Yeah, my dog is behind me, yeah. What kind of dog do you have? He's a mini pincher. He's the best. Yeah, I love him very much. And he's, he's my little... It's funny, you know, doing a show. And when I was doing Oklahoma, you know, I was gone so much. And... I have wonderful walkers and all of that stuff. He was ne he never went without, but this time has been really lovely because he and I are just together all the time. And he's my, let me see if I can show him to you. He's my buddy. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm trying to um, bring the camera down. Can you see him? I can. Oh, he's a looker. How old is he? He's 11. Oh, wow. He's beautiful. Yeah. He's a really good boy. He's a, he's a great, smart wonderful little um dog and i'm very blessed to have him with me now which you know it really helps with this too you know right yeah absolutely absolutely oh he looks great yeah, yeah. so what have what have you not done yet in your career that you're still that you're still dying to do any parts or any any projects you know i, I did one show that michael john wrote for me called queen of the mist that i played the lead uh, because I'm a character actor, I'm always playing supporting players and I need to play more leads, but there aren't that many, you know, leads are usually the way this business is set up. Leads are usually, and I've complained about this, even on film, um, leads are usually like pretty people. They play the leads and, and people who have character play the characters and, I long to be the leading lady in something. You know, I, I would like to have the last bow a lot more. <laughs> that sounds terrible, but I think you know what I mean. So there's a lot of people listening that are, are auditioning their hearts out and, and uh, just trying to stick with it in the field. Do you have any good advice for actors out there listening to this? No, I know that it's tough when you can't make anything happen and you just, I have... I have lots of things to say about it. I think, you know, you just have to persist. That's number one. You have to believe in yourself more than anybody believes in you because it's a tough business. And, you know, if you're, if you're unsure that they smell that when you walk in a room, so you have to just be, I think in the audition process too, you have to do it for yourself. You can't do it for them because you don't know what they want. 
So you just have to go and be the best you can be at any moment. Be prepared, have a great time, and just do it for you so that you learn and so that you try something new. And so don't say, oh, they may, I think they want this or I think they want that because they many times don't know what they want. So I think if you're confident and you walk in a room and you're singing material that you love to sing, um, that I think that's that's the ticket. And mm-hmm. and you may not get the job because they may be looking for something completely different, but you will learn so much about yourself and so much as you walk in a room with confidence each time. Yeah. I know it's frustrating. I know it's frustrating to go and sing your heart out and then like be cut or be typed out or that kind of stuff. Yeah. But um like I said, you just have to keep doing it. You have to just keep going. Yeah. Do you ever have a hard time leaving an audition if you've ever felt you've, you've uh, blown it? Yeah, I mean, of course. I, I've, I've had all that stuff. But I, I honestly, you know, I always liken auditions to, having, to, to being a surfer. You know, sometimes you ride that wave and it's great and you have a great ride. And sometimes you wipe out. And, and that's just what happens as an artist and as a performer. And so you just pick yourself up and move on. Don't stress. And don't focus on it. Like, don't like, oh my God, I did this and I did, just let it go. Just let it go. Know that you, if you have the intentions of just doing the best you can in every moment, then that's all you can do is the best you can do at every moment. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and can you say anything about your relationship with agents over the years? Well, I've had, I've been very fortunate that I've had the same agents for a very, very long time. I mean, my whole career, I've had the same agents. Okay. Um, and they get me and they understand me and they are wonderful people. They're wonderful people first. Um, they are true, truthful. They are moral. They are good people. And I am too. And I love that. So they are not the big agencies that push you, power push you. They are a middle ground agency, uh, they're not sharks, but I love them and they get me and they understand that, you know, I may pass on, this hasn't happened a lot, but if a job offers me $8,000 a week and I don't care to do it and I want to do the $400 a week job, they're cool with it. They're cool with whatever I want to do. It's not like they want to make money off me. They want me to see me as an artist to be the happiest I can be. And that's why I love them. That sounds like a rare animal. Well, I think it's just, it's all about chemistry. You know, having an agent is about chemistry. And if that chem, if that agent really gets you and understands you as a performer and your skills and what you can do and what you can't do, um, then you're in for an easy ride. Um, if, if you're trying to find the power agent, that's a whole other mindset. And I don't have that. So I, I can't help on that. <laughs> so it sounds like you would advise people to to stick with the people who they connect with and really sort of yes, understand on yes, a human absolutely. level. And the people who are supportive of them, you yeah. know, the people who are supportive. So many people get cut from agencies because they don't bring in enough money and stuff. Those aren't the people you want to be with. You mm-hmm. know, those aren't the people you want to have, you have your career shaped by. You want to have your career shaped by people who are honestly excited about you as an artist. Yeah. Totally, totally. So what's your prediction on how all this plays out? I have no prediction. I have no yeah. idea. I really don't know. And it, it doesn't cause you any stress or distress or anything? It does not cause me distress because I am of an age where I have a plan B. 
So um, I I can collect pensions. So I'm not I'm not distressed by no money. I don't know how people in their 20s and 30s feel right now. I would imagine it would be very stressful. If this had happened 20 years ago, I would be stressed. <laughs> right. I would be stressed. You have a do you have any sense of what, what what how you think you would have played that card? What would you have done? I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. It's a whole new world. None of us have ever experienced this before where there's nothing that right. you can do. Uh you know, you could do Zoom readings, but they don't pay you a salary. Hi, no. come on. They don't pay you a salary. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't, I really don't know. I don't know how the kids are dealing with this now. I don't. Right. right. Well, hopefully it'll end soon and people will get back to work. I, I can tell you, I need theater in my life. And- I think everybody does. And, you know, it's unfortunate because this current uh, climate, political climate, um, is uh, very unsupportive of arts and artists. And art and, and artists are the lifeblood of, of humanity. You know, the revenue from Broadway and theater in this city has brought in more revenue than any sports. I think it brought in last year like $35 billion yeah. for the economy. It's unfortunate that they're not paying attention to it, but it kind of, civilization seems to be a little cyclical when it comes to this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's sort of biblical in a way. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what happens, but you know, yeah. is Oklahoma expected to come back? No, 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 we're done. That's we're, done. We're that's done. done. But I had my next project with Daniel that I was supposed to do up at Bard. Um, so that's postponed until pro- possibly next year. Can you so, say what that is or not yet? It is um, going to be called most happy. It's an all-female version of Most Happy Fella. It's yeah. just the score. Just the score, not the script. Just the score. So the songs and a whole new script? No script. No just script. the songs. Wow, yeah. cool. We'll look forward to that. That sounds awesome. Yeah, really interesting, yeah. Anything coming up in the immediate that you want to plug? Any Zoom readings or anything? I have an album people could buy. Yeah, what is it? It's called Have Faith. It's been out for like four or five years now. But, you know, if I'm going to hawk something. Yeah, let's hawk that. It's Michael Starobin and myself, and I think it's a very good album. Cool. Have faith. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like a message we need now. That's good. Yeah, totally. Cool. Yeah. Well, this is great. This is all my questions. Thanks so much for talking to Thank us. Thank you, Ken. It's very nice to meet you. I appreciate you um, asking to talk to me. Absolutely. Oh, I'm such a fan, and I'm going to look forward to your next performance. You can bet I'll be at your next show. And uh, Thank you very loved much. Loved watching you over the years. So. Thank you. I appreciate that. And all the best to you. And I'm sure I'll see you again at some Thank point. Thank you. Sounds good, Mary. All right. Good. Have a good day. Okay. Bye. Okay. <laughs> right? That was fun, wasn't it? Isn't she wonderful? Really fun to talk to her. And uh, yeah. No, I was a little intimidated, right? You heard that. Um, I could have pushed a little harder on some of those answers, but, uh, I didn't want to be rude. You know, the last thing you want to do is piss off the actor who is so kind and generous and come, comes to talk to you on your podcast. So I didn't want to go too far, but, uh, but I was definitely a little bit, a little bit intimidated there. Uh, but that was it. And I should have said, uh, Mary Testa has been nominated for three Tony Awards, uh, not just for Oklahoma, but she was also nominated for 42nd Street 
And for that, On the Town, which was in the late 90s, incredible production. I just loved it. I know there was a more recent On the Town, but I got to be honest with you, that, that one in the late 90s takes the cake with, uh, with Mary Testa, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and Leah Delaria. It just blew me away. So I hope you saw it. If you didn't, I'm sorry you missed it. Um, our next interview is with Rory O'Malley, another Tony Award-nominated actor. He was nominated for the Book of Mormon. He was the featured Mormon in that, who sings um, Turn It Off and other songs. Really great performer. And he was most recently in Hamilton on Broadway as King George. So he's got a lot of stories to tell. And uh, he and I went to the same college, Carnegie Mellon University. So it's always great to talk with a fellow Carnegie Mellon grad and uh, and hear about his experiences and his career. So be on the lookout for that. That should be coming out soon. And for those of you who are looking for entertainment, I know you can't go to the theater, but come to the Bristol Riverside Theater at brtstage.org because we have a lot of entertainment that we are offering online and it's quite wonderful. Right now we have a mentalist called Vinnie DePonto. Uh, he's got a wonderful magic mentalist show that will blow your mind. It's pretty, pretty great. Um, and you do it all online, interactive. It runs through November 6th. So don't miss out on that. Go to brtstage.org and check that out. You'll really enjoy that. And be on the lookout. In January, we're doing our next online play. It's a play by Abby Rosebrock called Singles in Agriculture. And we're really proud of that. So um, check us out at brtstage.org. We always have something great going on there. Okay. So thanks so much. I appreciate you joining us for this. And we'll look forward to talking with you next time. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, stay in good spirits. Stay busy, work on a passion project during this time. We all need to do that. And as soon as the world reopens and we have this pandemic beat, then you can go out there and get your dream job. Thanks for joining us. I'll talk to you next time. Bye.